Welcome to another episode of Dango Thoughts. This week I'm talking to Taryn Gray. Taryn is a composer, a musician. Taryn wrote several plays. Uh, all of them, I believe, got awards. There's a lot of commitment to make the best product by him that I've noticed. And it shows in his craft and music, but it also shows in the way that he talks to you. It's, he's very generous with his listening. But at the same time, when he has something to say, he doesn't shy away from it, which I deeply respect. Taryn is such a pleasant individual. He's someone who you really can have those conversations with for hours. I think it mostly stems from the fact that he found what he loves very early on. He got really good at it and he maintains humility about him, even though he will tell you that he's not that humble. But I do think that there's a, there's a humility of understanding of others. I constantly find myself balancing the need to make sense for myself, but also make sure that I'm not actually dancing around a point or not trying to dress something up. We talk about history, music, politics, and human behavior overall. I always learn from my guests. But with Taryn, it was a much deeper conversation because we, I guess we kind of match this level of like, we really want to get to the weaves of the thing. And uh, sometimes I feel like people cringe. They don't always want to have certain types of conversations. And I see it as my job as the interviewer to make them feel comfortable to talk about whatever it is that we're, that is being brought up. But with Taryn, that was uh, never a problem. We just, it felt like we could just keep going. And I really love that. We didn't always agree on everything, but hey, what's a conversation if uh, not to hash things out and truly understand each other, right? If I may share a small point with you before we continue to the episode, I'm still learning about how to conduct this thing. What I find is that it's not always clear to me what is the main thread that binds the conversations in this show. At first when I started, and I keep saying it again and again, I see the show as a window into what people who live their craft do in their lives and how they make choices, what kind of choices they make. Because I believe that each and every one of us can achieve greatness and can achieve whatever it is that we actually dream of. Now, you know, the internet is filled with, com with information of that kind. So it's really difficult to try and steer away from narratives that sound cheesy because you're trying to explore a thing that obviously many people explore. This is not new and I don't think there's anything that is groundbreaking about that. But I do think that there are certain nuances that we understand as time goes by that makes certain things in our trajectory as humanity, but also individually, more comprehensible to us. We learn from each other and by interacting with each other in a certain way, we understand what's possible, both collectively and individually. In any case, that was my rant. I'm excited to create more content for you guys. And now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Taryn Gray. Taryn! Hey! How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, Thank Finally, you. I get to do this with you. I know, I'm super excited. I was excited. chasing you like crazy. For like, <laughs> for like months, I couldn't get a hold of you. Because you're a busy man. No, seriously, I'm, I really deeply appreciate it. That's, uh, I was very excited about this talk. Because, I don't know if you know, but the, the whole uh, thing about the show is basically... Uh, I talk to people who live their craft, who awesome. are basically, who, they are what they do, basically. And uh, I guess my goal 
maybe kind of like the, you know, the distant goal is to distill the, some elements that, or decisions that people like you make in life to what it actually means to de dedicate yourself to a craft. Yeah. And what does that relationship look like, looks like? Like, how do you grow through the craft? How does the craft grow through you? So I think uh, you're one of the most perfect people to talk to because I've been a big fan of your music for years. I, I really am. Like I, Thank you. I follow everything you do religiously. <laughs> and uh, there's just something about it that, and this is, you know, as a non-musician, I always find it a little difficult to ask, uh, if n maybe not profound, but like questions that I, that, you know, if, if somebody doesn't know the little intricacies of, of a subject, it's, it's more difficult to ask a question that would be on a level that is interesting for a musician to answer, I guess. Sure, sure. But on the other <laughs> hand, I, it's, I, I almost find it as, um, because I'm such a, such a novice in, in the field, it, it also gives me this uh, little bit of a sense of, uh, um, I'm a little innocent. Maybe. Yeah. And because of that, a lot of times I would ask a question, like I noticed like I would ask Josh you know, some questions about style and things like that. And some things that are very obvious to him, um, they're not that obvious to somebody who doesn't do it. So, you know, he was talking about like how even the attack makes such a big difference in style and things like that. Yeah. And, but I guess, thank you, Fridge, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but I guess I'm, I'm, uh, I want to open with, with a super simple question. How did you even start with music originally? Yeah, um, so I, I I was I was lucky. I, I was born into a very musical family. Um, my dad works for a theater um, in San Diego, and so literally, my first memories growing up were adults, you know, putting on costumes and dancing and singing on stage. Like, they did theater too, or uh, what's that? They did theater too. You? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. So the majority of you know the majority of my dad's colleagues were all theater professionals, and so yeah, growing up, a lot of a lot of the adults in my life were dancing and singing. <laughs> so it was you were born into it, basically. Yeah. But uh, was there a particular thing you picked up right away? Was it singing or? Uh, I would say I would say singing is the and performing would be the thing that I picked up on right away, um, and then shortly after um, I started taking piano classes, and then it wasn't until probably middle school when I uh, picked up a guitar and then started playing around with that as well. So guitar was the first instrument. Uh, piano was the first instrument, but I would I would consider guitar the first instrument because I never actually got good at piano or early on, not really? until later. Yeah, yeah. But so you, you, you picked up keys way later? As... Yeah, way later. Yeah. Okay. That, okay. I would say because of theory, music theory in college is why, is why I can play keys now. I couldn't play keys prior. So it's true that. what they say, it's much more, it's supposed to be much more structured or? Yeah, I think so. It's linear, you know, it's all, it's kind of like, especially on a piano, like it's all set out in front of you, you know, in a very linear way. So was that, so basically you don't, you, you can't even envision like a different trajectory in your life because you, you were surrounded by that and fell in love with it right away and it wasn't something that was like, a, it was never a question. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it wasn't a question. I, um, out of, out of high school, I wanted to go to college for uh, music video directing, and so that was that was as far off the path as I ever got. Still doing music, <laughs> still the same, it. yeah, but directing, yeah. And th and this is something. So, w did you ever have, like, almost like you know, like crises where you were like maybe this is not the right thing or never? This is 
Um, no, 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 I didn't. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah see that, that's, that's just amazingly lucky. Like I, I, the one thing I can always think is like, you know, people who I guess weren't exposed in an early age to what they can potentially be good at and love at the same time. They just imagine the amount of things, like you basically start with like all those options Yeah. and you have no idea. I was what, given a lot of confidence early on in it for sure. And that that absolutely, obviously, you know, affects a lot of my assurance in, in what I do. I don't even know why this is related in my head in any shape or form, but it just came to me. It was, did you come from a religious family? Or? I did, yeah. Yeah, I did. It, so, there was, so was it around like church or? There was also, yeah, it was around church as well. I, I, didn't, I didn't start getting involved in, in um, like uh, church music until a little bit later on. Um, it was really theater early, like earliest on. Um, but then, um, yeah, as I, as I got older and a little more, and I developed my craft a little bit better, I was a little bit better at playing guitar and piano. Then I started stepping in at church and, and playing around. And then actually for a year, um, in college, I was a, a worship pastor at a, at a Methodist church. Really? So, yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you, first of all, what age was the first time you stepped on stage? Oh my gosh! I, prob I mean, in front of an audience or without an audience? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Without an audience, it would have been a few months old um, with my dad. Um, what does that mean? Well, because he was my dad is a theater professional. Oh. So he's a lighting designer um, in San Diego for theater, mm. and so um, I mean, yeah, you know, I I grew up on his lap inside of inside of theaters during rehearsals and shows wow. and performances. Um, as far as in front of an audience, I think the first time was probably like, um, I don't know, it, maybe, maybe that was at church, maybe around like seven or eight, I, I like sang, you know, in a kid's choir. And it felt like you were at home right away? It was, I mean, I've always been energized on, I'm, I'm naturally anyway, I have, I have like a lot of, I'm hyperactive already. But when I get on stage, it's just like, it feels like all of that, like, it feels like I can give all of that, that hyperactivity that's inside of me, feels like I can, I can give it away to like an audience. And so that, that was the fulfilling part for me was like getting on stage and being like, oh, I've got enough energy for this. Like, <laughs> I can, I can do this. And how, how much did the religious uh, um, undertone play a role in the type of music you were attracted to, uh, some, um, like a good mixture of like none at all? Just... That's a good question. So um, I guess it's, it's a complex answer. You know, early on, I listened to a lot of, um, obviously a lot of Christian music growing up, um, especially like Christian contemporary, because that was really, really popular. What's Christian contemporary? Uh, so Christian contemporary is like, sort of like if you remember pod like or, oh, or creed i see yeah like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's christian contemporary so it's 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 adjacent to pop music and it's artists who have taken pop music and instead of singing about um you know the the material world they're singing about the the godly world well, you know? jesus and everything yeah yeah, Interesting. yeah okay um so i grew up listening to a lot of that um and then right around middle school kind of transitioned out of that and started listening to uh, a lot of mainstream um like i i mean i clearly remember like um well actually first i was a huge beatles fan um early on 
But when I started listening to mainstream music, like current music, um, it was when uh, The Boy Is Mine with Maya and Brandy was on the radio. Um, Santana had just come out with his Supernatural album. Like, like there was all this cool, like Snoop Dogg had Big Pimpin' out on the radio. Like everything during that time was like so freaking cool. So it was very eclectic. Too. Yeah. It came from very, like from many directions and a lot of them became mainstream. So I guess, I actually never thought about that because in many periods of history, I guess there was a set of types of music that was kind of like allowed culturally. Right. And the times we live in, it was a, like, I never thought about it. Like, it's a very different thing because you have all those different kinds of cultures yeah. that have their uh, musical essence come out in some form as a mainstream. Yeah. And that's, that's a really interesting, like, time, I guess, to become someone who creates in that field. Right. Because you have right. all this stuff to play with. And the stuff that I see from you today, you can definitely hear that there's a lot of, uh, there's there's some I, I can hear like some of those like almost like choir tones. Yeah. But I can but I a lot of the stuff when you just fuck around like the, a lot, like one of my favorite things on Instagram, we're gonna put the link in the description for your Instagram and everything is uh, is where you do this little you know the 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 little uh, and then you just play with all those different all right, instruments. Right, yeah, yeah. It's one of my sure. It's not like is <laughs> you're not gonna publish it as a masterpiece. But that's amazing because it's so much fun. Yeah. Like I watched it maybe like 30 times. <laughs> that's no, you. straight up. That's awesome. Because <laughs> it's someone who's just like really good at what he does. And then you take all those elements and it's silly and fun and amazing. And it actually makes you move like all of those components yeah. at once. And uh, yeah, it's not a given that it would be that good, even though it was just like probably something you did like in an evening, just uh -huh. like, yeah, let's fuck around a little bit. <laughs> so uh, I, I can totally see how like you were influenced by many things. Do you, by the way, do you carry any, uh, and this is not to put you on the spot, just curious, do, do you uh, carry, like, do you, till this day, you like you believe in God and? Yeah, I do, yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm, uh, uh, I, I, so I, I grew up in a very uh, white evangelical setting. And I don't necessarily associate with, with that anymore, um, but I do associate with uh, Christianity in, in maybe the more in maybe the more biblical sense, you know. So the, um, the tenets of like what they believe, basically. Absolutely, Jesus, yeah. Son of God, and, and that whole right, stuff. yeah. Mm -hmm. And and do you feel that that do you? So I you know I asked this question, and I, I think I asked this question of every musician I ever spoke to, and I get a mixed bag of answers. But I would assume that from someone who's driven by spiritual uh, components, mm -hmm. the answer, like I wouldn't be, like I, I think I know the answer, but I will ask anyways. Do you feel that it's possible that um, what musicians do, in fact, is that they can actually see or hear or feel something that's actually there mm. and they instantiate it? for the rest of us and that's why we kind of like collect around them to to see that thing that we can't see that's like it's it's funny that you asked that question because i'm a skeptic like through and through um and so i come i come by my i come by my faith and, and my understandings extremely through a skeptic lens of of not naturally wanting to believe anything to be honest and that and what what you're what you're talking about tapping into is actually one of the things that I have a really hard time with in in uh, churches 
because I still I still go to church. Um, obviously, right now we're not in buildings. We're doing it over online because of COVID. Um, but I go to a, a primarily black church in LA here, and um, it is hard because that what you're because of what you're talking about. Like, there's a lot of times where I feel like in worship, I have a hard time differentiating like what is spirit led and what is theatrics. You know, because I grew up in theater. So I can understand like when a song builds, what that does to an audience. And so it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to take it honestly sometimes in like a worship setting because I'll, I'll hear like a song build during a worship set and then all of a sudden everyone's, you know, hands raised and I'm like, well, I love that, I love that you're in, in the spirit of that and that you're led that way. But I'm also, I also look at it as, well, you did that when the music you know, as you did that because there was also this element of performance that sort of like brought you to that moment, whether that's ushering them into that moment or whether that's, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, so if it's, I'm hearing you correctly, so are you, are you referring more to like the, the potentially theatrical component of let's say what Pentecostal do or, or like, yeah. you know, like this, this thing? Cause, cause yeah. okay. So let, let's, let's, let's then divorce it completely from church and, sure. and, and like Christianity. Yeah. Or even spirituality. Yeah. And let me ask it in the most secular way possible. Uh-huh. Is it possible that there's another space of real information? Yeah. That of different kinds. That some of us have different talents of tapping into. So like some writers would tap uh-huh. into that. Like you know the, the whole concept of the flow that it feels like you, you're not channeling it, but it, it does feel like you're not really doing it. It's almost like. Yeah. You just open yourself yeah. and you relax into it and then it happens. Uh-huh. So now, of course, we, according to this kind of like uh, hypothesis in the question, we would still be a component in this process. Yeah, it's I not like it. we're completely removed from it. But is it possible in your mind? I'm not saying that's how it is. I'm saying, right. is it possible in your mind? And, and I always, and again, I, every time I ask it, the bet, I, I'm trying to come up with a better example yeah. or a different one because I think people are getting, like, if somebody no, I, hears I hear me saying, saying it again and again, but the one example I always use, and again, I even use it in different interviews because I used to uh, still film musicians quite a bit. When I see two musicians or a few musicians doing a thing in a room and I'm looking from the side, if somebody does one thing in the side, even if nobody's looking at him, everybody else sees in their mind's eye, what, what he's doing. If, if they're improvising and they kind of connect it. So that, that tells me that there must be some space. Sure. There must be some bridge there, right? That sure. they see what he's doing. Yeah. And so that, that's where the, that it. question really came from. Yeah. It's like, it's, I, I do believe, I do believe in that. I do, of course, believe in that higher source. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I would personally go as far as to say that I am an instrument of, of that, like of that, that I'm being like, I would I would go as far as to say what? that I am I am in personal conversations okay. like so so I guess for me it's it's the idea of the loftiness of it that it that it happens when I pick up an instrument I don't necessarily believe that is true as much because I because for me it's performance and I'm hyper aware of that situation mm. for me I would say it's more true of like when I'm in conversation with people then I understand that you know if if we're in 
if we're like in a brotherhood or or whatever, like, and, and we're having a good conversation, there is something there that I think we're tapping into for mm. sure. So it's like a similar like, space, some some space mind yeah. that, that is similar. I guess that's what I'm referring. And I'm honestly, I don't have like a complete answer to that. Yeah. I, I'm always yeah. asking people who interact with it all the time to see what they actually think. Yeah. Because it's uh, it, it like it's in my spectrum, mind, it's completely sure. possible that yeah. hey, if you're a good musician. Right. And again, because, you know, most good musicians actually also tend to be pretty humble. So they kind of recoil from that title. But good musicians, yes, they are making themselves uh -huh. more intricate and sensitive instruments. Right? <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. So, Maybe I'm not humble. <laughs> Maybe you're not humble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm performing, dude. Like, that's, a, that's all me. <laughs> So, oh, it's all you. No. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, that, that's I'm good. That's, that's, a breath, that's a breath of fresh air. I like it a lot. Uh, let me ask you about. Uh, let me ask you about um, about relationships. The, this relationship you have with music, uh, you are now uh, officially um, uh, engaged. So, congratulations. Thank you. Um, how much? How much of of the depth of your relationship with your craft, do you see as similar to the relationship with your current, like, uh, newly, new fiance? Wow. Um, or is that a completely different thing in you, like in your heart and mind? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would, you know, the 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 crossover is maybe a little bit different. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of take your. Your question and and bastardize it. I apologize. Go, go, go on a go on a tangent, man. <laughs> the um, I would say that the crossover is that I is that I found someone who uh, partners with me in in both of us in her craft and in my craft, sort of wanting to wanting to become better. And and there's a parallel, you know, of like both of us rising to a to a higher standard because of each other. Um, that to me would be the crossover, you know, within the craft for sure. And then beyond that, of course, like, of course she's my muse. So there's, there's songs and songs and songs that come out of, that come out of, you know, my, my admiration and my love for her. Um, in fact, uh, Become My Wife is the title of the one that's coming out. It'll be out by the time this comes out. And that's the one that I'm uh, performing, you know, on, on this, on this uh, um, video. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a good example of, of one of those moments where I was able to write that song in about 10 minutes because it just, there was, there was a flow of like, I know exactly what I want to say about this, about this person. I guess I'm asking because you know how, let's say you have people in finance and you know, the, the, the caricature version of that is like, they're married to their job. So they're. Like in this particular case, there might be some that for them, they're also, it's their craft. And um, it, it's, just, it's just like music is for you, for them, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, with hedge funds and things like that. For them, that's that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but usually in order to achieve this, uh, this pinnacle of achievement in those highly competitive environments, everything else has to suffer. So like the loved ones, the family, right? All that right. stuff. And I, I don't see any reason as to why it would be different in music. Sure. Right? Yeah. Like uh, people get really famous and then that becomes a problem. Or, yeah. so, so I guess my question was more, was more along the lines of, do you view the, the space mm. that those two major things in your life 
which is your future wife and your 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 life really your craft yeah do they occupy the same space or there's like a Venn diagram in which they overlap or they're a completely different thing for you both of them in yeah. which like you, they complete a thing in you but they're not they, they never compete this is not a thing yeah. that has to come I guess that's yeah great. they don't for me for me they don't compete I, I compartmentalize everything so so I do I do for every one of my relationships have very like I have everything kind of compartmentalized in my head and so and nothing really crosses over like at least at least that's amazing I, well that's a, it's it's amazing to say but but I know from close friends that things do cross over more often than I think than I think they do and that's when problems arise because I I didn't prepare for I didn't prepare or see that crossover like I have I have of course I have blind spots you know in that vision of nothing crosses over um, but as far as sort of how I just run naturally, you know, I, I definitely do run naturally off of that idea that things don't um, really interfere with each other. They don't have to compete. You can right. actually find a place for both of them. Yeah, yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, hey, one can only take example from you. <laughs> I think I, me, me and my girl will actually do a pretty good job of that as well. But I'm, I, uh, I did notice that it's not an easy task for most people. Yeah. There's, a, there's a few that I'm seeing and... and Luckily, it seems like I'm seeing more of that, but yeah, I think like a lot of people struggle with that part. Yeah. Which is like, how do you, how do you, it's like, do you set yourself first because do you feel like that's your, uh, you div like your career or whatever it is that you do as a craft and then, ugh, you know, like right. you have to still in invest so much money, eh, so much money, <laughs> so much time, maybe money, who knows, so, <laughs> much, so much time uh, with the person that you're developing a relationship with. And I always strive, just like you're saying, compartmentalizing, but not, not even that. I always strive to, to make sure that somehow they can coexist in a way that everybody are happy. Yeah. And there's enough time for everything. And there's right. Enough, yeah. I was, I was single for 13 years before, before her and I started dating. So, okay. so And I mean, like, I, I dated, you know, occasionally, but never anything serious, never calling anyone a significant other. Um, and it was, and I mean, it was for a lot of reasons, but I think it's, that's one of the reasons, you know, which is, which is just like, I'm, I'm determined and I, and I was holding out for someone who, who, who wasn't going to interfere with that determination, who was going to come alongside that determination and, and like help propel me forward. What does that. she do? She's a content creator, but she used to be, I mean, she's, she's famous. So that helps because... Um, there's also, there's also not this element of if I become famous, is that going to be an issue? She's actually going to be in a way, uh, more of a shepherd in that arena. If that was to happen, um, she was on the first two seasons of, uh, Real Housewives of Orange County. Oh, cool. Um, and so that's how she sort of, uh, rose to her, uh, popularity. And then from there she... Moved into digital advertisement and then came back and and now she's a, a, a content like a social media influencer. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. So that will definitely. She knows how that game goes. So. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. So let me ask you this: you you're now creating content uh, exclusively for yourself, right? You don't you don't like write songs for anybody else. This is this is your like your stream right yeah, uh, yes and no yeah I, I would I would I would put a, a little asterisk on that okay <laughs> um, I, I create for only for myself in the in the music world 
Um, and then, and then I'm also in musical theater, and I have a co-writer in musical theater. So then the two of us uh, do the same thing in musical theater. So that, so that was actually part of my next question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Darren. No problem. Um, the, the you because you wrote, you wrote how many musicals have you wrote? Uh, we're at five now. That's incredible. Yeah. And and, and uh, one or a few of them got awards, right? This is yeah. Yeah. Well, can you um, our, tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Our, our first musical, um, Freedom Riders, the Civil Rights Musical, uh, won Best uh, Music of the New York Musical Festival. It also, we also got a special uh, award for social relevance. Um, in 1961, a group of um, young activists who were male and female, black and white, Jewish, Christian, atheist, whatever, you know, they all got together um, to basically challenge um, interstate travel because it was uh, in, in the South because it, it was it was a national law that um, in the South you had to allow um, it, it couldn't be segregated but the South wasn't upholding that and so what they did is they got on buses and 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 uh, basically challenged uh, challenged that law to bring attention to the fact that. The South wasn't obliging, um, and you said '61. Yeah, 1961. So that, so that was way after Rosa Parks, right? It was. Uh, yeah, actually, it was a lot of it was um, modeled off of Rosa Parks. Uh, Rosa Parks was during the Montgomery bus boycott, which was the '50s, um, and and I would say I would say that it's a continuation of that thread. Uh, that so it basically, came from. It was Rosa Parks created this giant revolution and movement, but then some regions of the country yeah. uh, were still not upholding and then the the country needed an extra push there. So the so the interesting little footnote on Rosa Parks is that she's actually only one of a, a, she's one of a few. Um, and she she w is the one that got the media attention, you know, so so we give her a lot of credit which we should. Uh, but it was a whole already even at the time of Rosa Parks, it was already a movement. So she she didn't do it on a whim. She actually did it um, because it was already like there was already a tactic that that she had talked to other people about. Other people were doing it as well, and they were going out. So yeah. Anyway, that's that's sort of the footnote on that, which is that's actually interesting. I had no idea. Uh, that makes it very interesting to actually look into because I, I I knew nothing about that aside from you know the the regular story. Yeah. But, so you're saying there was already a movement. It was. Yeah. Rosa and Parks was, is... was there, and this is where I'm going to show my very deep ignorance, but that. You know, that's the time to learn about it. Uh, so where do Black Panthers come into that picture? Um, they don't come in until later. They come in in the 70s. Um, so after the Freedom Rides of the 60s, um, so the Freedom Rides of the 60s were kind of created by two main organizations, CORE, which is Congress of Racial Segre uh, um, Segregation, or sorry, Congress of Racial Equality, um, and then SNCC, and um, Stokely Carmichael, ended up coming into, into SNCC and after the Freedom Rides kind of took over and he's the one who um, came up with the term black power uh, very famously at a, at a large event. And from there, out of the black power movement is where the Black Panthers were erected. So that was already in the 70s? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you, and uh, I'm assuming, did you know a lot of this uh, before or did you have to study much more rigorously 
for creating the yeah i had to study i didn't i didn't know i didn't know this at all the i didn't even know what the freedom reds were so, so this was for the musical that you wrote basically you had to well yeah we had to uh my partner richard allen and i had to become historians on this because it was really important to us that we didn't dramatize it even though it's theater we, we weren't trying to dramatize it we were trying to really create um you know uh the history as it was because the history itself is is dramatic and intense enough you don't have to add to it um and not only that a lot of these a lot of these heroes are still living and so to protect their legacies we didn't want to butcher what they had done so it forced us to become historians on the topic um and then that led to our second musical which is uh called Bayard it's about Bayard Rustin um who was a he was a civil rights activist uh but he was openly gay and so a lot of history books have sort of erased him out of the you know <clears throat> out of the information because of that um but he was a huge pivotal figure too and wow talking about being in uh <laughs> on the receiving end of uh yeah, of hatred black and gay yeah jesus christ yeah man. yeah black and gay and christian in 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 the 60 in 50s and 60s um but he's the one who I think would make it worse if he would be a muslim <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know though you know there yeah there's a lot of there's Wait, a why, lot of why was the christian a problem because christians were pre- i mean christian... well it's a problem because he's gay so oh, oh, so okay. the christian community it's, so it's him, you know yeah. his own community didn't didn't um you know take him in yeah you know th- th- these people that fight for justice but then people like that that hold two titles that society ostracizes sure it's such a it it, it really is crazy yeah. it's like it's like how many disadvantages you can have just by the placement of the the your your placement in time and culture right it's it's unbelievable yeah totally and i i think so i think historically i think in in my in my view at least i've seen historically that you know when it comes to when it comes to christianity you know if i can if i can be super frank about it like the only thing that historically the only thing that christians dislike more than muslims are other bad bad christians that mm, they they're, or, they're doing it wrong right right yeah. right mm. because they're like oh you're already here you're just missing this one thing right. what's wrong with you right yeah and that's, so that's okay so you so you had to do all this research for the first two plays yeah and uh they got uh, you said in new york, in new york they they were yeah was it like a broadway show or was it like uh it was off broadway yeah okay. so we did it on 34th street um just off of just off of broadway yeah that's incredible yeah. so you uh and you wrote both the screenplay the music everything um i wrote i co-wrote the music um my my partner richard allen uh was the one who wrote the book and then uh i also arranged all the music so that's okay so first of all I'm I'm really interested in this because um I I think that one of the most important discussions we can have and it's also one of the hardest discussions that people now have is about all this racial stuff all this you know and um you know everything the social warriors do yeah and I find myself in a weird position there like on 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 many subjects now I think it's getting a little better it it's looking a little bit more promising mm-hmm. but for example when the whole uh BLM thing started in the beginning i was like whoa cuz i come i was born in russia 
I grew up in Israel. Mm -hmm. I know enough about, you know, what cultures do to notice like similarities in, in action. And just the way that it was that um, that it was done, and you might completely disagree with me, which would be great, because I would love <laughs> to talk with someone who was also very educated on the subject. There was something that you said uh -huh. that really grabbed my attention. Mm -hmm. You said it was important not to over-dramatize it because there's enough drama there, but we also wanted to do justice to the, to the heroes that are still alive. Right. So you really wanted to capture what in fact was going on and then give it a theatrical twist that will be interesting, interesting but not biased, I guess. Yeah. Right? yeah. And see, that is something that, I guess that's the thing that really, uh, it, it was more than bothered me. It, it really concerned me uh -huh. that I did not see any balanced discussion or view from either side. It yeah. was very, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was a very like thrust here, thrust, which is understandable because it's like when, when things collide, there's no time for nuance. Yeah. But I always said, like, I've seen, you know, I've seen what was, I mean, I'm very much aware of the Jewish history. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially, you know, in the Second World War, like the people, literally the people suffer more than any, not, not suffer more than anybody, but just just in sheer numbers, the people who died the most were Russians and Jews. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the way that those systems operated were very similar in a way in which they started from fighting for the good cause that was illuminated by a source. Right. And then they were, um, they were mobilized against whatever that source wanted, mm -hmm. which is what I saw. Now... I, of course, I got a lot of pushbacks from my friends and especially, for, like, I, you know, uh, let me be more specific so we don't get, like, I, I have a, a good friend who, like, called me, like, when the riots started and I actually ha happened to be in Vegas back then. I was uh, living with Kelsey for a little while there. But I know for a fact that I w if I was here, I would do the same thing. It was, he's like, let's go, let's do the thing, you know, let's go, to, to, it's very important to support. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I don't think that this is the right way to go about this. Mm. And the reason I said that is because I saw very educated people that I know, people who are, they're, they're, their mind is in the right place, hijacked by those very emotional waves. And in the, in the process, you saw a lot of destruction, but when you saw what it, like what it followed, and they started connecting all those little things that at least from where I was sitting, they weren't necessarily connected. Right. Um, and that really concerned me. So let me ask you like a, a more specific question yep. because I know I put a lot on the table. Because I saw you were also traveling. Uh, and was that related to also one of the places? Because you were traveling and visited Alabama. Some, yeah. Alabama, right? Yeah, that was, that was with one of the... So, so first of all, t tell me what exactly you were doing in Alabama and then I want to ask you a question yeah. following that. Well, in Alabama, we were uh, commemorating the 60th anniversary of the rides um, specifically at the location where the writers got um, attacked, they got firebombed by the Klan. Um, and so we went out to that location off the side of the road and did like a candlelight ceremony. Um, and we also went back to the Greyhound station where they were, where they were uh, mobbed, they were met with a mob back in 1961. And we also did um, a concert like in that, in that station. So, okay. 
Yeah. So, so let me ask you, and something tells me that you, you would not agree with me on this, but that's, then I'm, I'm, I'm actually very happy to explore <laughs> that. Do you really feel that the situation is pretty much the same, like back then? Um, I think that, I think the same, no. There has been, there has been some um, progression, for sure. Like, without a doubt, there's been, there's been things that have been progressive. But I do think that out of the civil rights movement of the 60s, there was sort of like a pause button that was put on, that was put on, you know, um, racial equality and, 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 and systemic racism, more specifically. And then that, and then it got unpaused, you know. In and like, you feel like it was unpaused by, by, by what was happening now, by, for example? I think or? it's unpaused by the assassination of, of people like Breonna Taylor or George Floyd. Yeah. You know, um, that's what unpaused it. Was, well, was so the awareness being, rose to... So you, so you don't see how those can be uh, isolated incidents? Um, n- no. Uh-uh. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this. So, and this is a very... I'm like hyper-aware this is a very difficult subject, but I think it really is It's a good subject. Huh? It's a good subject. It's a good one, but it's a very important one to talk about, but it's a very difficult one to yeah, talk about yeah, because people course. always assume... Like, even in the way that I ask questions, I'm always very careful because people always assume motives. Yeah. And I don't, have a, I don't have time to unpack who I am as a person. And, you know, one of, the, one of the things that arose for me when my friend called me about let's go and do the thing, I, ne- I, I realized in that moment, uh, and then later when we talked, he actually told me, like, like, he actually never had black friends and he realized this about himself. I actually am I'm holding some racist, like, mm. values. So you wanted... So it's almost like he was trying to exercise on himself. Sure. Uh, like like, like he, he had a demon in him and he wanted to like do it. It'll be sure. like an exorcist on himself, right? And, uh, but that came on later. But even in that moment, I felt that something, I didn't know what it was, but something was off about the way that he was talking to me mm. about that subject. Yeah. Something not very even. And then I realized something about myself. I realized that I just, it doesn't compute for me. So, you know, we have mutual friends yeah. th- th- uh, that are uh, of color uh, that I love dearly. Yeah. I never thought of them as black people. Sure. They're just my friends. Sure. Like everybody else. Yeah. And when people, and when white people come to me and say, hey, we got to protect them. Yeah. I'm like, who is them? Right, right, right. You see what I mean? Like in yeah, my totally. mind, it was like, there's something wrong with that. Yeah. That's the line you, that's the line that is the problem. No, now, I get that. You have yeah. to define, of course, if there's like a, if there's, you want to define a thing if it's going on, but the second you do that, you create more of a segregation, and now it's a vicious circle sure. because now you can't talk about this sure. in a way that is human. You're talking about it in terms of black and white, which perpetuates the problem. Yeah. So now, and of course, I'm not naive. It's not. I'm not saying there's no racism. Sure. Of course there is. Sure. Um, but I guess my question is specifically. Let, let's let's take a specific case, right? Um, I forget the name. You'll probably be able to remind me. The one that um, that happened way later, where actually things were calming down a little bit, and then that uh, there was some attempt for arrest, and there was that guy that was the police officer was pointing the gun at, and the, the, literally he was telling him to 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 like lie down, and he wouldn't, and he kept the guy kept on walking to to the front. His kids were in the car, 
and he kept on walking to the other side of the car to the to the driver's mm -hmm. side, right? Mm -hmm. And the police officer still didn't do anything. He kept on like lay down, lay down, and and only when he opened the door and went in, he started shooting him. Yeah. Do you and and do you not see how? What would you do if you would be the police officer? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what else are, is he doing? Reaching for like, how much how much leeway? Because the police officer wants to go home in that day, right? Sure, sure. So then the larger discussion, like, okay, is he coming from like a lineage of those corrupt yeah. cops? Yeah. Or is it something that's like, hey, but but then it's all lumped yeah. in the same cases, you know? It's That's what makes it so difficult. Right. Which is in the end of the day, the police officer wants to go home, either he's black or white. Yeah. Because a lot of those cases, also the police officers were black, by the way. So it's like, where do you... Yeah. I, I guess I'm asking... What kind of a discussion can be done on like the largest scale between the people who are actually movers and shakers versus you know just people that yap about it on social media? Yeah. What form of conversation would you want to see that you think can actually take this forward? Uh, that's a, that's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I guess first I would if I can if I can try to simplify it in the way that I understand Please, it. Yeah. Um, because I was the same as you growing up where I had a lot of black friends, but, but never saw them as black, you know, in, in that, in that regard. Um, I guess the easy, the simplified answer to, to that is I never saw them as black, but, but our government has always seen them as black. Mm. And so even though I was naive to that, my black friend was not naive to the fact that, that the government saw him, you know, different, um, whether that, you know, whether that means flat out racism or whether that means, you know, micro situations like like um, like a security guard watching you in a store more closely than white people, you know, or Which feels like why I'm just right, a person. Right. Right. So so that was my naivety, you know, in in being colorblind, no, not not understanding that they had to they had that any time they walked out the door they were automatically faced with the fact that they were black because... They live in a different reality. Yeah, yes. exactly. That's a good distinction. Yeah. I, I take that point. Yeah. Um, as, far as, as far as what I want to see, um, because I do agree with you that, that you know, cops at the end of the day want to go home, uh, of course, and I think, I think that it, it stems off of that, that same concept, which is that, which is that we just don't... We... we especially in certain neighborhoods have have um demonized you know black people predominantly young black men you know as as thugs or gangsters or as aggressive you know and so because we've put these labels of like you're aggressive on that if you're a cop you know and and you're in a tense situation and you're coming in with those undertones that were fed to you by society that, oh, this person might be extra aggressive because of his skin color. Like, that's the stuff that I think is, is the straw that breaks the camel's back of, of why a lot of times we've seen situations where, you know, they, you know, police might reach for the gun a little bit quicker, you know, like, like in, like, Fruitvale Station in, in Oakland, you know, during that, or, or in different moments where, where if you you see it play out and you're like, well, there's you know if you didn't see that person if you didn't go into that situation seeing that person as aggressive, then then you probably wouldn't have escalated to that place. So 
to answer your question, what I want to see, I think I, want, I personally want to see two things. I want to see um, police officers have more training on guns because they get guns very quickly with very little training. Um, and the other thing I want to see is um, localized, like police become localized. So, which in in a in a way, like you know, back what it More was intertwined in the community. And yeah, so that you know your community, you know the neighbors, and and that's going to lead you to that's going to lead you to some more educated choices. You know, I agree with both of those points. Yeah, but do you do you think that there, it's possible that also a lot of that problem is exactly? So I guess I'm seeing it almost exactly like you. Only in my mind, it's possible that a lot of that stems from uh, microexpressions, not microaggressions. Mm. So, for example, I always think of this example: if I if I walk down the street, me personally, yeah, a person who, without a doubt, have friends from all colors and all and all and all shapes, uh, and I really love them. Uh, as far as I know, we can all be unaware of things in ourselves. I, I don't have a racist bone in my body, mm -hmm. uh, but if I see a black guy in a hoodie and he's going funny, he's walking funny, I'll be concerned. Yeah. But guess what? If I see a white guy in a hoodie walking funny, I'll still be concerned. Uh huh. See what I mean? Yeah. So it's more about behavior and I, for me. Sure. And I do think that there's, uh, we humans, there are components in human behavior that we haven't reached the stage in which we're talking about it or know how to talk about it in, so, in, in, in society yeah. and therefore they're invisible to us. Sure. So like those little moments where, you know, as time goes by, we invent new terms for new situations and all that stuff and it becomes more visible because there's a word attached to it. Right? right. And sometimes even those, you know, those ideas become deranged and like as far as I can tell, like, you know, safe spaces, things like that, that's a deranged idea. Right? Yeah. Uh, but, um, it, well, I don't know if you agree with it, but that, that's how I see it. And, um, but I, I think in the end of the day, and I guess that's what I would like to see, yeah. is that we educate ourselves more about what it means to be a human, period. Right. And yes, a hundred percent, there are people that are ignorant, that are simply came with those crazy evil biases from home, hundred percent. But I would say that if you go in most places in LA and you walk into a Starbucks, the percentage of people that would look when a black person walks in and go like, oh, black person, uh -huh. close to zero, right? Yeah. And so, so I guess for me, it's like educating people more mm -hmm. about what it means. So everything you said is absolutely yeah. correct. And I agree with it, yeah. which is, you know, black people live in this place where they're treated differently just for being them, right. which is horrific. And then they're already loaded. So yeah. when a police officer stops them, you can see it in their face. And now this thing begins. Right. I do. I do wonder, though, and well, I think I could be wrong, uh, but I think you come with maybe an emotional intelligence in that area growing up in Israel, because I mean, I've been to Israel and and there is something to the fact that like you you're you know, you have a like like in the old city, you have the Muslim district. And you turn the corner and you have the Jewish district, and you turn the corner, you have the Armenian, you know what I mean? And so you grow up with this, you grow up with an understanding that people who are differently cultured than you doesn't automatically equal um, a, a fight. You know what I mean? Whereas, whereas if you're in a white suburb and all of a sudden a black person is driving through it and gets stopped, that, that 
for some people can can be way more culture shock, you know, because yeah. because it's not what they're because it's not what they're uh, used so, to. So two things: a, because it's too hypothetical, uh-huh. it's kind of hard to put your your finger on it. Because I would say that it really matters what kind of car they're driving, and it really matters how they look. Uh huh. But that's the same for a white person. Uh huh. And it might be a little less or more right. depending. On, I agree. But, but then, that also plays a role for sure, and right? Then, but then you get into classism. <laughs> but, the, but, but the problem here is that where does it stop, right? So uh-huh. you, you want to, that's what I'm saying. I, I feel like we'll never get out of it uh-huh. until we start recognizing the role of humans. And notice that when you say that sometimes, the people who were oppressed or feel that they were marginalized, they also oppose that because they want that period yeah. of everybody recognizing their suffering. They don't want to jump to the place where we're all humans. Sure. They're like, no, 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 no. We've suffered long enough. We want to be. We want recognition as this different creed who suffered, which you just, as far as I can tell, you're just prolonging the separation. So, so I guess I would place the separation where, unless we choose to see ourselves as humans and we all decide that this is a, a goal worth striving for, I don't think we'll ever get out of it. And let me just give you my final point about Israel that yeah. you said. I actually think maybe as a tourist, it looked to you. You know, when it, when it, whenever we go to a different place, and I've noticed especially Americans do this a lot, because there is a lot of white guilt, either you like it or not, uh, there's this tendency to optimize the situation around you. Sure. But the truth is that there's no, I've never seen a place with more hatred mm. than Israel. Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. The, the situation between Arabs and Jews holy shit bro sure like it's like the situation with blacks and whites here is like it's like this small in comparison right yeah this is uh we're talking about like you know decapitating little girls like things like that so mm-hmm. it's like and the miss and by the way this is where my understanding of the situation or okay my 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 impression of the situation that's what makes it different here because i i know where the road mm of rah-rahing against something ends. Sure. I know where it ends. It always ends in exactly the same place. Yeah. I've noticed that the movements who make a difference in the long, like in the long scheme of things, is our movements that fight for something. Mm-hmm. When you're only fighting against something, see what happened with feminists, right? It yeah. started as a very necessary thing, but because there was no other narrative but against, mm-hmm. when the problem subsided to a certain degree, they kept on being against things. That's sure. just what the nature of the movement. Sure. So you don't actually ever get out of that. And what you perpetuate is hatred. Mm-hmm. Now it's important, anger is an important emotion in our private lives and I think for civilizations as well. That's where you know you had enough and a healthy amount of anger puts a stop to something that can be very evil, right? Yeah. However, it's not the thing from which good things can eventually grow. There has to be a period in which things are kind of like, you know, subside. In Israel, that situation between Arabs and Jews, like it's if we start talking about it, how the media actually like you know like twists everything, mm-hmm. it's like that's how I saw the I saw an exact equivalent there, which is you know the the and and by the way, just to be clear, I the reason the reason I live here, the reason I moved to the United States, I don't like the Israeli culture in general. I just don't like the you know the condescending nature. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell you that from the most objective point I can actually stand, and I, and I had Arab friends there, it's that as 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 the the main operative components there, the ones that actually make the difference, you know, the Hamas and 
the ones that actually make the actions, they're not in, from once. It's not the truth is not always somewhere in between. Mm. Sometimes the truth is much closer to one of the sides. Sure. Yeah. And so that's yeah. a false narrative. So right. like I know for a fact that you know the, they would like throw crazy rockets for like weeks. Israel wouldn't even respond because it's like you know it doesn't do that much damage. Like yeah. people don't die because we've built systems. Yeah. So and then they're like you know they start going crazy. So they're like okay enough, we shoot back. And then the media jumps on it <laughs> sure. and blames Israel. Sure. So like I saw a very, very, very equivalent line there mm -hmm. between the police and what was going on with the black community there. Mm -hmm. And that is not to say that the black community is like making it up or they don't have a rock. Of course they do. However, the way that the narrative was being built, I saw what was happening there. Like it was, it was, uh, it was weaponized. Mm -hmm. It was weaponized and I could see that the people who were weaponizing it didn't actually care and, and I, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know, by the way, if it's uh, coincidence or not, but they were also against Israel. Mm -hmm. So like very much against uh, the Jews, like very openly. Mm -hmm. So I was like, interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, it's like there's people that in this world that will always want conflict. Yeah. And they would find a way. Totally. To, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I don't see any, 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 uh, any logic with what was going on on Melrose and on Fairfax. Yeah. I don't see any logic there. Yeah. With... It's, I mean, you know, I, I, there's only so much of that I can speak to, I think, as, sure, a, sure. as a white person. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, people are, people are fed up, you know? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a conflict, like, black people in America has been a conflict for a really, really, really long time, you know? And you would hope that in the modern world that we are, um, that that we're educated enough and that we're also civil enough that it wouldn't still there wouldn't there sh there shouldn't still be shadows of of that that exist and 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 that's the that's the sad part is that I think that I think that if you know if if you look if you look at it you know there are still shadows that exist and it's those shadows that 100%, people are 100% yeah, no 100% and it's no. those shadows that people are so fed up with that that it leads to action I I personally, um, I personally have a very specific uh, tactic within that that I that I adhere to, which is called uh, nonviolent direct action, and it, it's the same tactic actually that we talk about in in both musicals, Freedom Riders and Bayard, um, and it comes out of sort of the Gandhian movement, and and ob obviously Gandhi got it from Jesus, so it comes out of that, which is this idea that. Is is that you can be direct and you can be actionable, but in a, but in a very nonviolent way. Basically, if we if we can elevate ourselves to a place where where we show the oppressor that that we are um, civil, you know. But not only that, if we can also get to a place where we say our oppressor is also part of the system. You know, like white white people are a part of the racist system in America too. It's not just black people. You know, white people are also victims of race of the racist circle. They're on the other sides of it, but they're victims because this because this really isn't because because the attacker isn't isn't ultimately white people. The attacker is ultimately the system that we built. You know, and or or, or, or just the fact that and this is I guess 
you know, I know I, I'm becoming becoming acutely aware. I love the subject, but it's uh, you know, I don't want to make it all about race. <laughs> but I, the reason that I really wanted to talk to you about that is because you you spend a considerable yeah. amount of time actually studying the history and you engage with it. I'm sure emotionally too, because you had to build a you yeah, know a performance yeah. for people. Sure. I you said the, some some shadows are still there, and that's what people respond to. You don't think that the shadows are in the fabric of reality? Like it's not a thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't try it and keep it at bay. Sure. You know, and, and it's a weird uh, quote to pull from. But yeah. like in, in Doctor Strange, when he asked her, <laughs> "How did you get rid of your shadow?" I don't know if yeah. you remember when they're standing in front of the window, yeah. and he asks her, the master. He asks her, "How did you get rid of your sh of your uh, demons or shadows?" And she said, "Got rid of them." Yeah. You never never get rid of them. Yeah. You live above them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it's 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 ingrained yeah. in what we are. So to expect when you're trying to purify a thing, I think it's a lack of understanding of what our condition is. But I'm, I think what I'm talking about though is is not purification. Uh, it's more so just like true equality. You know, because because we are at different because we are at different starting points. You know, between between races here. I'm at a different starting point because I won't get I won't get looked at shady you know in a store if i'm wearing a backpack but if but if you look like pardon my uh terms white trash yes you will sure 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 wait so what's the difference the difference is not skin the difference again is how what is your general gestalt right what's the thing that you but a well-dressed good-looking black dude would tell you he has the same problem as i as know a lot of uh, i know a lot of people black people who like you know they they live a very comfortable life they dress up nice and they never experience that mm -hmm. so it's it's again this is not to say, see, this is the point where people take it as like, oh, so now you're denying. No, yeah. of course I recognize all that suffering. Yeah. I'm, all I'm saying is that literally, if you want to solve this, not you personally, yeah. but you, me, us, if we want to solve this, as far as I can tell, you, we can't look at it as far, like in those descriptions, which is like, hey, if you're black and you walk into a store, then you look, that's not true. Right. It's, it's if you're black or you're white and you dressed a certain way. Mm. And you emanate certain signals. Sure. Now, if you're going to go, by the way, same thing is true of like a, a white person who dressed nicely and goes into like a really, you know, run down black neighborhood. You know mm. what I mean? Same thing. So you, what we want to do is we want to take the majority of people. Yeah. And have like somehow create a narrative that is more human. Yeah. More than anything else. That's, that's the, that's the only way I see that is yeah. out of it. Really. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I have seen firsthand, you know, people, uh, black people who are, who who look above reproach, still get, still get. You saw that, okay. Yeah, yeah, and um, a few times, but um, definitely, w w the one that's most apparent to me is the one was in New York. You know, coming home from, coming home from a dinner, I was with a, a group of, of um, actually a group of the people that were in the show. And some guy was like, it's you guys who are making our neighborhood so loud at night. And we're like, we've never, none of us had ever been in it. We're like, none of us are in this neighborhood ever. So what do you mean by you guys? Like, you know, so there is, so there is still, there is still things that exist, but. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not denying that at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, no, I've seen something like that too. I've seen it once. And I had a really good black friend and yeah. in a nutshell, we were pulled over. He doesn't look, you know, criminal at all. We were yeah. coming back from workout and literally they pulled us over doesn't matter how it happened exactly for a fact i'm telling you we were pulled over because it was black yeah i've seen that to your but, point yeah to, uh, to your point with with the shadows and with the fact that there's always going to be 
a group of a group oppressed. I I absolutely I do believe that. I believe I don't believe that. I don't believe we ever get to a, we ever. I don't I don't believe we ever reach a goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, what I what I do what I believe is that, and, and this comes from just my like my faith as well is that is that if if the commandment that I follow is to love my neighbor, then we never stop fighting for the oppressed. You know, in the same yeah. way that in the same way that Christ fought, I I feel like always fought for the oppressed. Like we never stop fighting for the oppressed. So whoever whoever it is, it, like I'm 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 fighting for more than just black black people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in America, you know. Yeah, and <laughs> no, and and I and I want to be perfectly clear. I if if there will be a like for me, the perfect world looks exactly everything that you know. Every person who deem themselves to be like the perfect liberal, that I I want equality for everybody, as much as anybody, if not more. Yeah. Like it, it, my dream world is, is in which that's not even a thing. I know that right? about you. Yeah. yeah, but but I know for a fact that people who really care have to ask the real questions yeah. from people that maybe see it slightly differently than them, so we can find a path to a real conversation that makes a difference. Yeah. Instead of yelling at each other and all that stuff. Yeah. So that's that's more than I'm asking. Yeah. You know than anything. I let's, agree. Shift, let's shift gears a little bit here <laughs> and talk about uh, the end of time and, uh, you know, and uh, God and all that stuff. That's, that, that sounds fun. Uh, <laughs> do you think that there's uh, th- this is Oh, this is going to be fun to torture you with that. Do you, <laughs> do you think that there's objectively better music? Oh, my gosh. In gen- you mean genres? Ge- no, no, no. Not comparing between genres. Pick, pick a, like a genre. Let's stay in one lane. Okay. And then, is there objectively better piece than the other piece? How dare you ask me that question <laughs> on camera? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, um, yes and no. Oh, god damn it! You and your Hollywood answers. I know, I know, I know. I, know. I can't. Yes and no. I'm too. I'm too. Uh, I, I I I live too much in in my own my own beliefs and also in 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 equality in a, in a way I guess. Um, I think that I think that we are obviously trained, you know, as as a whole. Not I'm not saying musicians, but as a whole, you know, I think we're all trained on what's aesthetically pleasing. You know, you don't think there's something objective that's aesthetically pleasing? I don't think that I, we're striving towards but we'll never arrive. There clearly is, because there's a lot of music out there that I that I think is awful that people love. So mm. so clear so clearly, uh, clearly it is objective, you know. Um, yeah. Wait, wait, how is this objective? If you're saying that you think it's great and people don't <laughs> like, that means it's subjective. Sorry, su- sorry, subjective. Subjective. Yeah, yeah, subjective. Okay. But 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 do you think that there's like uh, pools of things that are comparable? And then just simply a different great different level of this thing, like wh- why why both of those can't be true? Be- be- I mean, because I think from I, at least personally, I because think of because of, we need to be uh, you know uh, humble or no no because I because I think we mentioned earlier I don't know I don't know if humility is my strength. So great. <laughs> I just, I just think it's because I'm a. I think it comes more, more from being a skeptic. You know, I think that there are moments where we see trends happen, right? And if you look at history, like right now, '90s music is really freaking cool, right? Like it's cool again. '90s music, 
but in the early 2000s, we all thought 90s music was trash. Is it possible that all of 2000s we were just wrong? <laughs> yes. Yes, that is possible. <laughs> but, but no, but like really, like you don't think, uh, it's, I guess, the reason I'm asking is because I always see this weird uh, move that people make in art, uh, which is they say, there's no such thing as better. And I'm like, there's clearly such thing as better. Like there's, there's you, maybe you don't like saying that, yeah. but I'm sorry, you don't, you, you're not gonna compare the Mona Lisa with a red dot in the middle of a, of a white page. And if you do, you don't understand art. <laughs> it's like, no, really, it's that simple. Uh -huh. Like it's, it, there's, there's, I, I, the way that I see it, good art is like, there's this objective undertone that we're all exploring subjectively. Okay. And then some people are better explorers of it so, so they can be objectively, right. there's some subjective interpretation that is objectively better in the standards of objective art. And I guess the, the deeper thought there, and then take it from there, yeah. what do you think about that? And that's actually not my idea. I, took, I uh, read it in, in a book called The Beginning of Infinity, and, I, and I, that's actually my favorite chapter in the book. I never stopped raving about it. It's called Why Are Flowers Beautiful? Mm. In which he makes the case that it, when we reach this level of objective art, which is like, and of course, we're still going to have subjective interpretations of it, but we're moving along this line, and he makes one example that is very easy to compare, which some people still don't like, but I think it's, it's, not, it's not a brainer to see that, which is you can't compare cave art to, uh -huh. mod, right? So you just can't, right? and it's objectively better. And yes, for that time, maybe whatever, but that's objectively better because it took more work and knowledge to do. So and then, and I guess, and, and, the, and the, the point that I want to make from which I want you to take and see what you think about yeah. that higher concept, which is he makes the claim that when you reach that level of objective beauty that, that crosses this line that he describes as the beginning of infinity, in other words, it means its reach is infinite in potential. Mm. So like, just like there's knowledge that equals empty squared that has a pretty pretty unlimited reach to uh -huh. things. Just like that, there might be pieces of music and art when you reach that level, that even if a civilization from the other side of the galaxy that is more advanced than you by two million years will still see it as beautiful because it reached that level of objective yeah. beauty, basically. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we, maybe, maybe, this might be a semantics thing. Okay. And we might, we might agree. Um, I think what I want to do is just, what I would want to do is throw in the word craft. Okay. Because if we throw in the word craft, then I do agree that craft is, craft itself is objective. Okay, for interesting. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, and how do you see the difference there? So craft is just the expression of how you bring the thing. I to think be. I think craft is the is is the education and experience behind the subjective art that you're creating. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I can get behind that. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I, I remember like in high school, I think. Um, seeing this picture of like, of like through the decades, what was considered beautiful, like the, the most beautiful woman, yeah. like through the decades. And I remember looking, if you look way back, like, uh, or like in, in, in the, um, 1800s and stuff, like the beautiful woman was like super plump and like, like kind of chubby. And I remember thinking like, really, that was beautiful. And then. And then, because because obviously, like in the early in the '90s and 2000s when I was in school, like skinny girls were like the rage, right? But then Roseanne made a comeback to this. Well, this is well, right? What, what my my point is is that we're almost we're almost full circle because now if you look at the sort of ideal beauty, it is 
like the Kim Kardashians of the or Lizzo, like people who are plump, like but not like that plump. Like, they, I know what you're talking but about, but you know what I'm way, saying, but, like but they were way more plump, right? But, so it's like well, what, I'm saying what we what we consider beauty now is not the is not the really skinny version of beauty that we that we believed in in the 90s and, and early 2000s. So you're saying that it's possible that even the way that we perceive like ultimate beauty now, it's still parochial. Like it's still something that might completely change in about Total, 100 percent. Okay. Without a doubt. Okay. Yeah. But but in that, is there like a like a mean average? Like is there a thing that throughout the centuries will rise to like kind of like symbolize the more like perfect place? Or you think that's just <laughs> they've buck? got two eyes, a nose, and a mouth. Perfect. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I agree with you. There's some things that it, it's hard to differentiate which ones are culturally bound, which ones are like this kind of like objective thing. I guess with humans, it's a little harder to say because humans are pretty much set for a pretty long time as they are. And maybe now with like, you know, CRISPR and things like that, we'll be able to like augment ourselves right. enough and fast enough to then start arguing about whether <laughs> one horn or, or two tails or, you know, what actually looks sure. more nice and symmetric. And like, there's, there's this whole, I think there's Truth. like this whole uh, porn, porn, uh, 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 what do you call that? I guess genre uh-huh. with like uh, girls with like tails and stuff like that. Oh, like, you yeah. know, like like anime and stuff like that. So you, who knows? Maybe we'll be able to like get to a place in which uh, a girl a girl with a cushion on her head is like the main thing. Who right. Knows? Okay. So now we we almost solved the, the secret the secrets of everything. <laughs> let's let's move. Uh, let, let, yeah. Um, like let's, and subscribe. Yeah, yeah. Let's solve global warming. <laughs> yeah. Go. Um. Too late. Just fart less. <laughs> um, no, uh, okay, so as far as I want to explore a little bit your belief in God. Yeah. It's, you, you said that you adhere more to like the canonical, you know, Christian belief. And how does that look? How does it look like? Do you spend any time on it? Or this is something that is just humming in, in, in the back of your hard drive? I do spend time on it. Okay. Yeah. So what is the picture that you see that, that, is, that you can reconcile also with everything we know in, or for you also what you see in your life? Uh, in, in terms of... Do, is, is there one... Well, of course, there's heaven and hell. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And what... Got so, it. So is... Because is, is, some of the things, I guess, to me in Christianity that are kind of hard to swallow even if you want to take the rest of it at face value. So like, for example, you know, somebody can murder their whole life and then all they have to do is to accept Jesus Christ as sure. Lord and Savior and then they just go to heaven. How do you see that, for example? I, I have no idea. Mm. No, no freaking clue. Okay. No, I'm, not, I'm definitely not trying to put you in the corner. I'm just, I'm just I'm wondering if there's... Yeah. You know, because you're a skeptic, because you live such an interesting life, yeah. I want to see how do you reconcile that. And, and if you can reconcile it, do, do those things, do you just kind of put them aside and you just don't dwell on it too much because it's not it's something that, hey, you know, you can't, you can't do everything. So I'll, I'll tell you what I'm a skeptic on, maybe. Maybe that, maybe that helps. Okay. Because, um, and, and the reason, and... Uh, I'll start by saying, like, I am, so my answer was calculated earlier because I am a practicing Christian, but I don't, I don't personally want to be associated with the, with the evangelical community because I think that um, traditionally and, and, and maybe um, culturally, 
they've created a, a maybe more problems. And and I can I, I feel like I can say this because it's the community that I came from. We've created more problems than we've created solutions in a lot of in a lot of situations. I think. Um, and so if I can divorce myself from that and, and be able to just say I'm a Christian, like in the, in, in the biblical sense, then to me that's a little more of a, of a, of a blank. It, that's walking into a conversation with a little more of a blank canvas as opposed to having all of these other yeah. you know, um, labels attached to me. Yeah. So I want to be very clear. I'm actually not trying to form... An opinion yeah, no, about no, you. Yeah, 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 totally. I, I'm exploring it because I... So first of all, in Christianity, there's no, uh, there's no reincarnation, right? When you, when you die, you're either in hell or in heaven forever. Right, right. So why do you get to have this one lifetime? It's like, what is the... Is this like a new... No, yeah. I'm really asking. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah. I've never yeah, thought yeah. about that. I'll answer your first question first because sure. I, I, I forgot to answer it and I'm not trying to go around it. Sure, sure. Um, the, first, uh, the first question was... Um, as far as, oh, so with the, with the, with the whole idea of acceptance and, and who gets accepted, um, really, really, I think that's maybe the bedrock of, of my belief is that I believe everyone is welcome. I, th I think everyone's welcome, period. So if, if, you're, if you're gay, like, stay gay. Wait, so that means there's no hell? Well, so this is, so this is the part of that, is that I do... I do still believe in a, in a heaven and hell. When it comes to that, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of intricacy to it that, that I am not going to pretend that I know as a human at all. Um, I, can, I'm, I purely can go off of the idea that um, there, is, there is, I think everyone has presented an opportunity, you know, to understand um, under understand and um, give glory to God, and and I and to go back to your other question, kind of in a roundabout way, I do think that that's why we're given the one life. I think we're given one life to to glorify the Creator, you know, and and what we choose to, to, to make do. Him proud. I believe we all have a, that we all were created by a God who um, wants to have communion with us. So wants to be in wants to be in relationship with us as his creations. In the same way, and that's, to be honest, and you know I've said this as a skeptic, but to be honest, for me, that's a really easy place to come to because it's the same way I feel about the stuff that I create. Like, I want to be in relation with that creation, you know? And so that's, that's really sort of, for me, what the big picture of all of this is, mm. is, that we have, is that we have an ultimate creator. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He gives us... Um, you know, through Christ, obviously, because I'm Christian, I believe that it's that it's through Christ that that He gives us that that access to Him. Um, because otherwise, we're a fallen. We're, I mean, I don't. We don't deserve to be in in communication with God because would you we're then, imperfect. But would you then punish a piece of music that you think that is not working exactly how you want it to work? <laughs> <laughs> I would, um, I would, re I would rework it. So you see what I mean? Yeah. is that a little weird? I see, well, I see, I can, but, but, yes, but, you know, and I guess in my head, I don't see it as a, I don't see it as punishment for the sake of, of punishment, you know? I mean, but in the same way forever? that I, Isn't that the belief? 
Well, in the same way that a father will punish their child in order to redirect. But not forever. No, not forever. But isn't the belief that it's forever? You're, ta oh, you're talking about when it comes to hell. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. That's the, hard, the thing I'm having a hard time reconciling. That's, like, that's that, not a correct mechanism. Honest, to that. be honest, that's the, the thing that I have a hard time reconciling too, though. If I'm being completely honest with you. Yeah. Everybody it's, should have a chance to rectify or correct what they did, you know? That's not, that's not the, you know, hell is, first of all, the word hell is never said in the Bible. So not in the Old Testament, but isn't it mentioned in the New Testament or no? Um, the idea, the, the word itself is not, no. No, okay. Um, the idea of having, of, of living in eternity um, with the absence of God and in, and in pain and torment is, of course, you know, in the Bible. But that, but that, I guess that is hell, yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, we've created a lot of, I think we've created a lot of extra, we've, we've, we've kind of filled in the gaps of, of what the Bible even talks about, you know, with our own thoughts. And that's the part, that part of it, I divorce completely. Like, mm, like yeah. anything that's not in the Bible, I'm like, you know what? You yeah, guys came up with that. eternity of suffering. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm with yeah. you. I mean, you're not answering for the Bible. I'm not. Well, and that's, but, but to be honest, that's the, that's the part that I, do, that I do have a hard time with. Like, I, I struggle with that, that concept because, because I understand that that my my part in in glorifying God to go back to that like what I truly believe is is that it's my it's my job to to love people to present people with with the fact that I believe that you know Christ died for us and beyond that it's just to love people again and like that's it like you know and and there's there's the holy spirit you know, who's the other part of this, you know, the Trinity. Trinity. Yeah. And, and beyond me telling someone, you know, what I believe is true, it's the Holy Spirit's job to, to do whatever with that, you know, with whoever with that. And, and, it is, and it is the part that I struggle with because the rest of me is just like, I just, like, I just am going to love people, you know. And so I have a hard time fathoming the idea of, of what what part does what part does this play where where that person that I'm loving might end up not you know having an eternal outcome uh, that's positive you know that, that yeah, that's and, hard and that can, is hard you can't me. correct for it yeah because for example in in uh, Buddhism the cycle is a little more like you know it's more cyclical so it's like yeah it is very difficult yeah to get out of hell in Buddhism because you you don't have because Karma is consistent of uh, all your past actions, but also your current actions. So mm -hmm. you can be, you can, you can have like a lot of good karma from past lives, and you can be born with a lot of money or a lot of opportunities. But if you don't utilize that still for what's called the, you know, the path of, um, forget what it's called, like the ethical behavior, um, then then now you are actually on the down trajectory even though you had a lot of good karma. So you can burn yeah. all your good karma away uh -huh. and you can actually end up in hell still. Yeah. And then from there, the, the, the difference is like a, it's, a, it's like a funnel because from there, because you're born into a world, world of only suffering, it's not conducive for good deeds because there's nowhere to perform them. And it's very difficult to get out of that cycle at that point. So yeah. I guess in that sense, it can also be eternal. Yeah. But I guess it's a little bit more cyclical. But all of those stories, of course, in the end, it's not like, you know, I'm asking you because 
I'm shopping around. Yeah. I'm asking you because those components of our psyche, I believe, they're kind of like the they're necessary structure. Mm-hmm. And even if you have a complete atheist that believes that there's nothing, you know, there's nothing at all, uh, the they would vehemently oppose the word belief, but let's say the trust in uh, scientific methods as they are to bring us uh, through, you know, the entirety of time that, that, that humankind will exist and the things that we're going to become, it's also to me a form of a thing you rely on. Yeah. Right? So it's like you find comfort in the fact that we have some control over nature and therefore we're going to keep growing. So... Um, uh, this is not to say, yeah. you know, like I'm not comparing. I'm just saying that that still falls in my mind within the purview of 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 the things that you have in the back of your mind that makes you trust that something can be relied on, like something reliable yeah. that, you, that that can carry you through tough times, through whatever right. it is, right? So that I guess my question is more to that, which is like if you take everything that your your core belief is based on, yeah. You, I guess you, what you answered the question, some things you have to peel away because they don't make sense to what, what you believe yourself to be or what you want the world to be. Yeah. Every, every religion has a really bad tendency to like other each other. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we're here, but those others over there are a problem. You know what I mean? Every yeah. religion does that. And that's the part that, I'm tr- that I am trying to be super sensitive about not to do ever. Like, I want to take... Like, cause I mean, Jesus didn't other people like, like Jesus was Jewish, but he didn't chill with Jews. He hung, he hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes and was at bar. You know what I mean? He was, he was literally, he literally made it his intent to hang out with the other, with the people that were othered, you know? And the only, the only other element that I think is, looks different with God. If you look at the old Testament and you look at all this stuff where you're like, oh, God is punishing and blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. Like that to me is just looking at that to me is more so a story of God trying to make sure throughout history that that hit that that his story is protected, you know, so like so like everything from the fall of man to Jesus, like that that he had that God made sure certain things happened in order to protect that lineage and to, so that we could get to Jesus. Right. Why do you think that matters? So, like, because if, like, in the ultimate scheme of things, why does that matter? Uh, well, that matters. That matters because you know, with with Jesus coming as both human and God, you know, uh, he Jesus comes as a as a perfect sacrifice, dies dies for our sins in order so that we can have communication with God. You know, because otherwise we're in. Otherwise, we pre pre Christ, we live in an, an area where the only other way to do that is through the Jewish temple, you know, through the curtain, um, and so Jesus comes as sort of the perfect sacrifice because up till then we were doing non perfect sacrifices, you know, the the, sta- the scapegoat or or the lamb offering, you know, and then Jesus comes and is like, I'm the perfect offering, so that you no longer have to sacrifice goats and and sheep you know and so i think that i think that that was important because it shows 
you know, the, the importance of that lineage is to show the, like, the depth of, the depth of, like, not only, not only seeing the divinity of God, of, like, this is how I got from here to here, but also to show the, like, um, the distance between God and man of, like, of, like, this is how far away we are from being able to commune with a perfect power. So, do you think it's possible that, that is there, you said that it's about, that it's also about understanding the distance between where we are and where God is, but isn't that distance closed when you die and you go to heaven? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, totally. So, you're actually with God or is there still a distance there? Um, I think, yeah, you're actually with God, hmm. I think. That's an interesting, that's really like an interesting concept to me. Like, in a, in like, in a, like, a, like if I'm trying to envision it, uh-huh. I'm sure that most people don't because <laughs> right. they think they're not allowed to or not supposed to. Sure. Know, but like, that would be like, it would be an interesting just like concept to explore, let's say in a show or a movie. Like, what yeah. does that mean? Like, yeah. do you meet God uh, walking down the street because he lives the, up the hill or, yeah. or is he just a presence or? I've, I've tried to envision it too. It's. I used to I used to have literal you can like talk to my parents. I used to have literal panic attacks when I was a kid because of the concept of forever where it was like you're going to be in heaven forever. You'd le- like I learned that in school and you know or I mean in church like church school and I always I had a hard time with that because I was like what if like forever like do I want that? Do I want that? You're with Kelsey. My, my, my girl Kelsey, she hates infinities. and it's, <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's freaky stuff, dude. <laughs> I, I don't know. I love it. I'm like, yeah, forever. Whatever it's it freaky. It's freaky. Do, do you get the same like weird feeling when you look at the Mendelbrot set? You keep zooming in, you know, those... Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> she get, her skin crawls. It's like, turn it yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. Those are crazy, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's like... So, like constant loops. Yeah, that is an interesting concept. So you... Because... See, for me, it's like, I'm genuinely interested. Like, if if there's, you know, if there's a God, I'm genuinely interested in in what it actually is. And and I think, I don't know, it's the fact that, I actually don't remember where I heard this. But when I heard this, then everything kind of snapped into place. Um, The general idea is this. If God exists, the fact that we can even fathom the concept means that there's some uh, staircase between us and him or her or it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's some thing. Yeah. There's some connection, which means sure. that there's a piece of us that is divine. And I think that people don't like, sometimes don't like to think like that because they, they're, the, you know, the fear of God of like, I don't want to, you know, be be punished for thinking that I'm like God. But like, I think... Like my version of it is that if God exists, he or she or it must want most things in the multiverse to reach a level in which they see, again, it, it, uh, for simplicity, I'll say him, but like, I mean, yeah. whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, they see him in themselves. And like, that's the yeah. only way to, again, to kind of, I guess, remedy like the bigger yeah. things in the world, right? I don't disagree with that at all. I do think, I do think that humanity has, has to have some divinity to it, right? I mean, from a, from a Christian perspective, I'd explain that in a different way, but it would mean the same thing. It's the idea that we're created in, a, in his image, you know? And so, of course, if we're in his image, 
there is some sort of a divinity involved in that. And you've heard, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, you know, like, well, if you like accept Christ into your heart, right? So, so, so there are Christians who have, um, and, and again, this is, this is something where I think maybe they've taken it a little bit too farther than what the Bible actually says. But, but I do think the majority of Christians believe that, um, that they hold, that they hold God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of them, you know? Um, that they have made themselves a temple to receive and and to allow those that Trinity to dwell within them. So of course it's it's the same thing you're saying. Like of course there is, you know, divinity within humanity involved within all that for sure. Okay. So um, uh, first of all, I'm I'm so happy that we get to do this, and this is, I'm I'm fascinated by the conversation. So Likewise. I'm going to ask a few more a few more questions that I think they're important. Um, then we can wrap it up because it is getting late. Um, I can do this actually for quite a few more hours, but I want to be, be polite. Um, uh, I want I want you to talk to me a little bit about uh, this mini campaign that you did about uh, anxiety and all that stuff because I think it's yeah. such an important. Yeah. I really think it's such an important topic, uh, and not a lot of people. I mean, I guess some people do talk about it now, mm-hmm. but. This is, first of all, how did the idea come to you? I'm assuming personal experience, but then yeah. what made you decide to do something about it? Well, the, the politically incorrect term is that, I have hypoco- is that I'm a hypochondriac. Um, they ca- now they call it health anxiety, but um, I, think more pe- I think more, when I say I have health anxiety, people are like, what's that? And then I'm like, I'm a hypochondriac, and people are like, oh, okay, I know, I know what that is, you know? Um, so I've always been that way. Um, ever since I was a little kid in, and, um, so in the pandemic, you were like, <laughs> well, <laughs> yes and no, we'll, we'll get there because that is, that is where this, that, that is where this, uh, kind of is fulfilled in a way. Um, but yeah, I've always been, af- I've always been afraid of my own body my entire life. Like I've always, anytime that I, anytime that I hurt or feel something weird or my eye twitches or whatever that is. I'll automatically uh, assume the worst. Assume the worst. It'll be catastrophe in my head, totally. Um, and that goes beyond just me too. That that's also for people that I that I care about. Like, you know, if someone is if someone is sick or something, I always assume the worst too with them. That, that the worst is going to happen. Um, and you know, I've gone to therapy for it uh, when I was when I was a kid, and then. Um, dealt with it all the way through high school, had panic attacks because of it. And then I would say um, it disappeared for a long time. And then two years ago, um, I had a really, really bad panic attack uh, in January of last year. And I didn't even recognize it because it had been so, it had been so long since I had it. I didn't really deal with it since you know, on a serious level since high school. And so I just, I didn't know what it was. I thought I was dying. Like, I, I, thought, I thought I was terminally ill, you know, like, the, and, and it was very real to me. Um, it turned out to be a gluten intolerance of all things, but to me it was terminal illness and like I was dying and I couldn't, I couldn't, be, I couldn't socialize. Like, it was really, really bad. And um, coming out of that, you know, uh, one of the things that I, one of the things that I did in recovery for that was a 30, a 30 day song challenge, like write a song a day for 30 days straight. Um, 
and it was super, super therapeutic. And actually, two of two of the songs that ended up on my album came out of that. What's um, the name of the album? The the name of the album is "The Elephant in the Room," um, and basically, what ended up happening was. That was in January. The um, COVID hits in March, I think, is when it gets serious. And that's right when I was feeling like at my best coming out of it. And I, and I should say, when I say at my best, I still struggle with it. Even, even today, I'm like, am I having a stroke because my, my eye's twitching? So I'm still struggling with it. It's, it's just not, there's certain moments that are, that are very um, compressed in, in how hot it feels, you know? Uh, the pandemic hits, and in my head, I start seeing a lot, well, not in my head, I start seeing a lot of people that are dealing with health anxiety all of a sudden, because of the pandemic, and I don't, you know, I just, I personally believe that if you go through something, then you're meant, then you're meant to use that, that somehow, and this was an opportunity where I was like, maybe this will resonate with people, you know, that, that I've been dealing with this my whole life, maybe people won't feel so alone, um, and it's not, what, what the album isn't, it's not a uh, survivor story at all. It's, it's, a, it's, it's literally just a, a call, more of a call to action to be like, hey, like if, if you feel this way, just know that you're not alone in it. Like, it's not a survivor story because I haven't finished surviving it yet, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it, it is annoying when people... Uh automatically you tell them a thing and then they try and like uh, give you like a good advice to try and solve it. Um, but I'll proceed to do exactly that. Um, <laughs> have, you, have you ever tried mushrooms? No. You, sh you might, you might want to actually look into that. Yeah. No, seriously. Like uh, it's, as far as therapy with stuff like that and now actually clinically studied heavily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mushrooms, uh, dude, they keep finding out new things about all different kinds of mushrooms. Like that I'm all, like every time I... Look at the news. It's like some mushroom they found is. Oh, I'm talking specifically about magic mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, like, so yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they found in like, uh, if I if I'm uh, if I remember correctly, the data so far, which is pretty solid at this point, uh, with heavy uh, addictions, for example, which are, uh, I I actually don't know a lot about the the real psychological and physical underpinnings of uh, what causes uh, hypochondria. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as far as uh, Things that are hard to cut, so like OCD, uh, heavy um, addictions like alcohol and 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 uh, tobacco, like cigarettes. Those are like very difficult ones because yeah. people have been doing it for 20 years. It's very hard to kick off. Uh, it's uh, it's if I remember correctly, it's as crazy as 80% of people who go through one to two sessions. Of course, with a therapist yeah. and everything, yeah. uh, 80% completes the session. Wow. So, Dang. like, for real. Yeah, that's So, nice. like, anything that has to do with concern. Yeah. Because, like, from an anecdotal perspective, uh, it's what they're really good at is... So, what they do, like, if you, if you look just from a neurological perspective, they uh, shut down a lot of the activity in the DMN, in the default mode network, uh -huh. which is responsible for, for anything that has to do with self-recognition. So, sure. my thing, the, anything related to me, yeah. right? And uh, they show that when that region becomes hyperactive, it also releases a lot of cortisol. It's correlated with production of a lot of cortisol, which is the stress hormone. 
But there's a lot well, of that, other mechanisms. That makes there. a lot of sense for my life. Yeah. No, no, no. That's just how it works. <laughs> and what they found, the, the yeah. who speared all this research was Richie Davidson, who did, you know, uh, studies with uh, 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 mindfulness meditation for 30 years. And at this point, there's over 500 papers by him and in the... In the at all friends yeah. uh, with functional MRI so like real like controlled studies that shows that what meditators seems to be really good at is turning off the default mode network wow it, so and then he added psilocybin to the research about 10 years ago yeah and he showed that psilocybin does a very similar thing just for you without even knowing how to meditate yeah so yes there's like you know risks like in everything but if you collect the data over uh, decades uh, they tend to be very gentle with newcomers. It's a weird thing. Yeah. It's almost like they're a real entity. Sure. They're very gentle with... Uh, they're, they're, I, I actually don't know of any case in which they kind of like yeah. attack somebody. That's who, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so some, something yeah. to really look into. Like it, it, yeah. with somebody who knows what they're doing yeah. in yeah, a yeah. controlled environment. I get what you're saying, yeah. You, you, you can actually talk to Gilsey. She's never done that. And we did it one time and she was just like... That's crazy. Yeah. Like it really brings those nervous levels. Wow. And it stays that way for quite a while. Wow. So something to look into. Yeah. Uh, just yeah, in yeah. general. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, yeah. The album is called Elephant in the Room uh, or The Elephant in the Room. And it's on uh, every streaming service. It's called The Elephant in the Room for two reasons. One is that I'm addressing the elephant in the room. Uh, well, it, three reasons. <laughs> One is I'm addressing the elephant in the room, which is uh, mental illness of, 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 a, of a degree. I'm not saying I'm extremely mentally ill, but I am talking about crazy. mental illness. I'm pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm pretty freaking crazy. The other, the other two things is, is feeling like the elephant in the room in, those, in those situations when, when, I'm, when I'm really feeling like a hypochondriac. I do, I do feel like I'm sort of like sticking out in a way. I'm not able to, I'm not able to find myself in a flow, you know, socially. So that, let me moments. ask you about this. So, yeah. so this means anxiety in general then, not just the, but like the, well, the, 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 the not, what you were describing social. is, okay, but, but social as well. Not social as well. I, so, okay. so I don't, I, I, I don't struggle from social anxiety. Okay. I do struggle from health anxiety. Which, which if I'm around, like it can happen at any time is what I'm trying to say. So like, they're, like I can be in the middle of a club and, f and if I start feeling like I have a heart attack, I'm automatically, you know, in anxiety mode in the middle of that club and no longer able to function. sort of function. Yeah. yeah. Did it ever happen to you on stage? No. Hmm. Yeah. So that's a safe space. That's a safe space. And I know it's a safe space. Um, the other safe space is working on, is working on music. It never creative. happens working on music. Well, yeah. Create, yeah. Um, and I think because of that, I'm a, work, I'm a workaholic. <laughs> That's a nice escape. Hey, not bad. Yeah. We're, we're definitely gaining a lot from it. The, but <laughs> the last reason it's called the elephant in the room is when I was a kid, I would always say what ifs to my parents. What if, what if I don't wake up tomorrow morning? Or what if, this is some, what if this headache is something more serious? And their response was always, well, what if an elephant fell through the roof right now? Basically to say to me, like, you can say what ifs, but what is the probability of this actually happening? Anyway, the elephant falling through the roof would put the elephant in the room. So that was sort of, it, it just felt, it felt very, uh, it felt like the right cool. title. Like <laughs> okay, so this, uh, and it streams everywhere. Spotify, yeah. but YouTube as well? Um, yeah, YouTube as well.
How does it work with YouTube? Do you do it's behind a paywall on YouTube? How does it work? No, you can listen to it for free. You just type in Taryn Gray, the elephant in the room, and it it it'll probably come up. I think it's put out by CD Baby that puts it out. Oh, yeah. Okay, and this uh, so you uh, so this wait so CD Baby is what is the label or CD Baby is the is the distribution partner. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's but it's not a label, it's right? Like, how does how does not that work? It's it just uh, it just it just works that basically. I stay, I stay my own label, and and they, for a fee, I pay them, will distribute my music Advertise to all the, okay. yeah. That's mm-hmm. probably the smarter way to go, because mm-hmm. a lot of musicians really kind of sell their soul to the to <laughs> Satan. <laughs> it's such a weird model, it always blows my mind. Yeah. And I didn't even know that the, the money that the label gives is only a loan. I didn't even yeah. know that. That's crazy. Yeah. That is, that is isn't insane. That it is nuts. Yeah, I don't understand. What Labels like, are are banks with connect with uh, with contacts, music that's contacts. That's so crazy. That's it. Wow. Yeah. And you never you never went with a label because of that. Um, I used to work for labels, pre and and then I and then I left. <laughs> what, uh, and this is a little Way erratic, back. but this I'm trying to cover the things that I really wanted to ask about. Yeah. So the uh, the last uh, musical that you wrote was was it. Uh, relatively recent or yeah we wrote uh we wrote two musicals during the pandemic one was called legendary uh which uh is um sort of a female rock inspired by fleetwood mac musical but in the modern era and then um and then the other one was we did we just finished doing a, a reimagining of the princess and the frog the disney version uh where we wrote uh, the original movie had eight songs. Now our show has 18 songs. So we wrote 10 new songs. Uh, uh, Richard, my partner, rewrote the book. And we presented it as a, as a um, uh, y- you know, uh, where, you, where you donate um, and everything. We, we presented it as that, you know, on uh, Clubhouse, that. Interesting. Yeah. And this is some, wait, the musical? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Wait, so you... So the musical ran on Clubhouse. Yeah, the musical ran How on Clubhouse. How does that work? You just um, we listen. Yeah, we raised money. We bought everybody um, Monocaster systems so that they could plug their phone in and still have a professional microphone. We rehearsed a ton and then presented this full, you know, audio musical. It was just audio only. And we had sound effects and music and all that. So it was kind of like the radio back in the day, where yeah. everybody kind of held on together. One hundred percent. That's amazing. Yeah, it was really cool. Wow. I, uh, can you? Can you? Can we find it somewhere? No. Or? So that was um, that. That unfortunately was just for that moment. We do on our socials. Um, uh, Alan Gray Musicals is our social handle. And we do have a lot of uh, like videos from that that we posted onto there. That's but amazing. The full I thing, actually really want to check that out. Yeah. How uh, you said you guys rewrote the story somewhat. Yeah. Uh, how much did you guys depart from the? Well, the characters are, are pretty much the same, but um, all, that's about all that's the same. <laughs> we departed There's pretty some heavily. Super Mario characters. Yeah, like... we departed pretty heavily. Um, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I always love seeing new versions of an old story. Yeah. Because I I think that the whole idea of of uh, creative endeavor is innovation. Yeah, and I think that it, it is. There's something magical about watch, watching a classic of any kind, but I think it's super important that we keep. Uh, I think we respect um, 
masterpieces more yeah. when, we, when we build on top of them. It's the Disney model, you know? Almost all of Disney's you know, musicals or, or movies are built off of classic fairy tales. So they did, they did exactly the same thing. They took... Oh, I never thought about yeah. that because it's like there's a slight twist there. It's not yeah. exactly the story, right? Right, right, right. I never thought about that. So we almost, we almost Disney'd Disney, basically. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> um, all right, so a uh, final thing that I want to touch on uh, is what do you think is the future of music? There's this, and, I, and I'll, I'll, of course, I'll make it a little bit more specific. Mm -hmm. What's the future of music? <laughs> um, there's a lot of talk about that pretty much everything is going to become more electronic. Yeah. Um, And, and you, but you can still see pockets and waves of things that people are actually trying to go back a little bit more. Uh, it's rare, but I do see it sometimes. People are trying to do things in analog. And I think yeah. it's, I, I personally, well, who am I, right? I'm not even a musician. But if, if I'm looking at a trajectory of what things are doing, that's just cute. Yeah. Right? Like uh, the way that I see it. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But do you feel that there's, obviously, there's always going to be some kind of a merger between things. But as far as the most, the music that is the most consumed by mm -hmm. most people in the world. Yeah. Do you think, because in Europe, for example, it's a very different thing, right? They're, they're, they're much more like electronic based, right? We have a little bit more rock still here or, yeah. or am I, or I just have a completely off picture about the situation? No, I think, yeah, no, I think you're right. What, what do you think contributes to that? Is that like, what is it culturally in America that keeps loyal to this uh, more instrumental uh, medium? Uh, when you say that, you mean like rock and roll? Rock and roll, and even in R&B, like it seems like, well, I guess no, in R&B they do use way more electronics, right? But it, but there's less of this kind of like what Americans, I guess, would think of as like more robotic, yeah. like electronic electronic. Yeah. There's less of that. Yeah. Do you think it's just a cultural accident? And then if so, hmm. can you point to something culturally that you think contributes to that? It might, you might not have an answer at all, but I just wonder. I mean, I mean my answer would be that, that rock and roll and the blues are as American as apple pie, you know? So apple pie never goes out of style. And, and you, so you literally think it's always going to stay. I do, yeah. I think it's deeply American. You know, rock and roll was was birthed here. The blues were birthed here. You know, so I think those things will always will always hold court in mainstream music. Aren't aren't the Beatles? Weren't the Beatles responsible quite a bit for the way that rock and roll? Kind of uh, they were responsible for the wave of of British rock and roll for sure. But but the Beatles were inspired by um, American bands. Primarily. Okay, so this is something that okay. Mm -hmm. So you do think that we're going to stay on this channel for quite a while? I do, yeah. I think it's I think it's one of America's best exports, for sure. And this is something. This is a medium you love to play in as well, or do you I, try and experiment more with electronic? No, I I I do play in it as well. You know, I'm I'm these days I find myself a lot more in musical theater, but for myself as an artist, I do I do sort of play in the in the realm of rock and pop. Um, and it is, it is an area that I'll continue to play in, you know, it's, it's, it's for me what feels, um, authentic, you know, to me as an artist. And, um, in, at the end of the day, I'm just a huge music nerd, you know, um, and a history buff. And so I love taking all those elements and, and being a part of becoming a part of history in a very small way by taking those elements and creating something new with it, you know, um, 
Yeah, uh, to answer your question about sort of the future of music, um, I have a pessimist view and I have an optimistic view, and they're two totally different views. That's perfect. <laughs> my my pessimistic view of the future of music is that is that the more it becomes accessible for everyone to create, um, the the more it becomes the more the the less the less it becomes a profession and the more it becomes just a, an expression you know um hmm. uh, i never thought about that so that would be my pessimistic view of the music industry in the future is that it becomes something almost like oral storytelling where anyone has the opportunity to do it and there's no um and there's no value held on it Really? But do you think that people would listen to everyone? That's not feasible, it seems. I mean, I think people already do listen to everyone. You know? Really? I, I mean, not, you know, on, on, on micro levels, you know, but, but if, if that only, you know, as, as social media expands and as our connection to each other globally expands, I think that only becomes more saturated. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But you don't think that... At the end of the day, they might be listening to everybody talking on social media, but they still listen to Joe Rogan, right? They still listen right. to the, so like even there, right? right? So I would assume with music, it's much more so because it takes a long time to really become that yeah. good. And even though that you're right, there's going to be a lot of uh, opportunity to create with probably AIs that do most of the work for you. Uh-huh you would still have a level of professionals with that AI uh-huh. that regular people would never be able to reach because yeah. they don't have the training to kind of think uh, in, on, on that height. Right. right. I'm, not, I'm not saying that artists won't exist. I'm just saying that, that like the level of, in, of sort of the intensity that comes with that is becoming less and less. Like, like you know, the trend that I've seen historically is that like even 50 years ago, you had superstars, right? Like you had, because, because music, recording an album was way less accessible to, to, to people. And because of that, you had way less choices. And because of, you, of way less choices, you had, you had these people who were more special in a way, you know, because they were one of the few choices. They were the cream of the crop. They were the ones that were getting the album and they rose to, to superstardom. I don't think, I don't think we're going to see as many superstars rise anymore as, as so we I, did. So I see the same thing with, uh, I always say I see it with Hollywood stars. With You don't really have that era anymore of uh, like mega Hollywood stars. Yeah. That, that era is kind of like gone because I think everybody knows to a certain extent, to the most minimal extent, what it's like to be exposed to a lot of people watching you or right. you think a lot of people watching you at least. So it becomes a little less special. But do you think that that they still think that requires a certain amount of talent. So like, totally. you, you think that the Michael Jackson is no longer possible? Well, the Or... pessimistic side of my brain says, if, if we've already seen that trend where we've gone from superstars to less superstars, then, then you, can, you can take that and, and project the future. Mm. You know, but it also the pessimistic side of It might be a dip too. Totally. Yeah, totally. Might, if, if we start like making music from Mars... Right. You know what I mean? It becomes this like the, the biggest stars of Mars or the biggest stars of Earth. Right, right. The, op, the, optimistic, the optimistic side, side. the optimistic side is, is that, uh, and this is me just being a history nerd, um, 
we live we live in the age of the single right now, right? Like you don't have to buy a whole album to listen to one song. You can go out and put it on a playlist and you know only listen to that one song. So so if we live in the age of the single, in my head I'm thinking, well, at some point we're probably going to return to the eighties one time wonders kind of thing. Well, uh, I think different. I think we're going to return to the twenties and the thirties. We're going to return to the time period where where the single was. Where, where the superstar was the, was the songwriter, right? So you had Gershwin, you had Leonard Bernstein, you had, like, you had all these people who were songwriters. And so you had songs like, um, like Fly Me to the Moon is a great example. Like Fly Me to the Moon was sung by Sinatra. It was sung by... Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett. It was sung by Sammy Davis. G. Like everybody sang, everybody sang that song, right? Who, who wrote it? Uh, that's a good question. I don't even know. See, but I you said know. they were the superstars. I should know. But were they the superstars when they wrote the song? Well, my, my point is that their song was, right? Okay, the song itself. Right, right. That's, so, a, that's a cool idea. That's, right, that's what I'm hoping is going to happen, is that we're going to enter this, this new era where we go back to like hearing, like, like Beyonce might cover it, but, uh, but you know, but Nine Inch Nails might also cover it. Bruno Mars might also cover it because the song's so fucking cool that everybody is singing it. You know what I mean? That's a cool concept. Like, like we, it's, a, it's a concept that's already existed in American history. Yeah, I, I haven't thought of that. And, and everything in his, history is a cycle, right? So at some point, you always come back to the same thing historically. Uh, that's always, like, everything is... is but, it, but it seems that even cycle. then, the song was just another star because Frank Sinatra was still... A mega star. Right? Uh -huh. So was Tony Bennett. Uh -huh. Maybe not as big, but it was still enormous, right? Or maybe was it? Were they pretty much? Yeah, yeah, yeah they were big. But the song was also right. But it's not like it reduced their stardom. No, because it was because. But their stardom was different, right? Their stardom was built off of their interpretation of songs. Their stardom wasn't built off of off of them as a as a as a as a brand and as a catalog. But they didn't have their songs? You didn't have Frank Sinatra's songs? You still did, but they weren't as popular as the oh, really? Fly Me to the Moon, I've Got You Under My Skin. It, they weren't as popular as the songs that were sung, you know, at the time Iconic by everybody. Like that, yeah. yeah. And so... I actually didn't know that. And so it's just, I think it's, I think it's interesting to think about the idea that at some point... Um, musicians become known again for their interpretation of a song as opposed to as opposed to having to always bring bring a new idea to the table in in the in the structure of the song but now that i think of it even in the 80s the one time wonders phenomenon which I, there was a lot of yeah it's kind of like that i guess we just called a band one time wonder but really what happened is that the song was the hit yeah it's the same thing The totally. band, maybe one band covered it and owned it, so there was no permission for other bands to play it, but the song was the stock. It was, I guess, the same thing. Right, and, and, and they didn't, and they, but they didn't, they didn't cross over, you know? Like, because people, they wouldn't allow, because of like, all kinds of copyrights, and they wanted to make the majority of the money. They say so that. I think, I think they wouldn't allow it because they wanted to create, they wanted to make album sales. And if I, yeah, wanted, yeah. No, and if exactly I wanted to buy Never Gonna Give You Up, you know, by, by Rick, then I had to buy the whole album to listen to that one song. Oh, I see. So the one song speared the way for the rest of the songs. The, the one song speared the way for the album sale. They knew that they, knew that they could make, 
they knew they could make $15 off of us to buy the whole album just by selling us one song. Because they could, right. And then all the right. rest of the songs were fillers. But I guess I'm thinking about it more from like a holistic perspective. Like over time, the, thing, the songs that people remember even today, nobody remembers what album it was from. Right. And it's, most people don't even know what, blank, what band played it. Uh-huh. They just know the song. Right. So I think in that regard, the song is still the eternal thing. The song is the meme, yeah. right? And then the, the rest of it is kind of just like... Uh, unless, unless you had an album that was, you know, iconic from the, from the, from the top to the bottom. Well, okay. Like, well, that's like Dark Side of the Moon or, you oh, know. Okay, but Pink yeah, Floyd yeah. Is, yeah. A, is a household name. Like Pink right, right, Floyd right, right, is, right. again, it's yeah. like a... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there, oh man, we should, we should have another conversation like that and explore <laughs> a little bit more of like the history of music. Because I, I would love to see what you think about my uh, very, very limited taste in music and mm-hmm. like, like my uh, little adventure with it. It's always amazing to me that I never really took the effort to really dive deeper into that. It's, I love music so much. And I even had the opportunity to actually learn from an early age. But I think, I, whatever the reason is, that never happened. But it always, like my sister has uh, two little ones now. And they're, they're amazing, my nephews and I. And I keep pushing her to, uh, to put instruments in their hands because yeah. I see the dimension that it adds to the mind sure. and to thinking in general. Yeah. I've never met a boring musician. <laughs> That's funny. Not once. <laughs> I've met assholes yeah. and crazy ones, yeah. but never boring. Uh-huh. That's a fact. <laughs> So there's, there's something about, think, think about it, because yeah. you have to think, you know, if you, if you want to get extravagant here, but like you have to think math, creatively, mathematically, because yeah. those are yeah. mathematical patterns, but nobody thinks of it like that, right? Yeah. And, but, but those are real aesthetics in nature. I yeah. always give this example, and we, and we, can, uh, we can close with this, because I know we're getting tired, but like, uh, you know, uh, what is it called? The... Uh, uh, what is it called? Some phone? The, the, the plate that you vibrate with sand on it, you know what I mean? And then it creates like all those shapes, you know? Oh, about? yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, for, I always forget what it's called. Uh, but when you vibrate at a certain frequency, it creates a, a certain structure, right? Sure, yeah. And then you go up in frequency, and then there's chaos. Uh-huh. And then you go to a higher octave of frequency, and it stabilizes in a more complex shape. Yeah. Now, this is a very old experiment and people got bored with it, but think about what it means. It means that this structure, the information, how to hold the structure is in the frequency itself, yeah. in nature, right? So that's kind of like my question to you back then was also coming from that place. Sure. Which is like maybe those things actually, like you see those structures, right? Oh, yeah. And then, and then because of that, the mind has to expand in this, to this new level of understanding because it involves not a theoretical understanding of the thing, but what it actually feels like to play with those with those uh, structures that probably exist in nature. I love it. Yeah, I love it. And and because of that, like I, I literally, I've never met a boring musician. We'll have we'll have to talk again sometime because there's yeah. a whole other aspect to this. But I do, um, I do have a strong belief that in in modern science we have we have focused on on the science of light, um, and in ancient science they focused on the science of sound and because of that there's a lot of things that that we've lost uh along the way in in understanding i I do think that i do think our understanding of light is way more advanced than our understanding of sound or maybe just like we might not have lost but we just maybe 
you know, uh, maybe we're a little behind. And yeah. We might still catch up because eventually I'm sure that we're going to have to explore all frequencies. I say lost because I, because if, because I think that ancient civilizations created things with that science background that we oh this is a conversation i would love to have that's what i'm that's, that's what, what i'm yeah, yeah. This is, <laughs> we're gonna have so, so much fun disagreeing on that it's gonna be great i don't know if anybody lifted uh, rocks to build the pyramids with some but we'll find out <laughs> that's what i believe yeah i know <laughs> we'll talk about it later maybe they use lemons as better no 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 but this is this is a fascinating conversation uh Jaren, i i'm so grateful to, that you agreed to do this. Likewise. I know that you you have a lot of things to do, and uh, uh, I learned so much from this conversation. And this is something I would definitely love to repeat. So let's find another time and yeah. repeat this when it's done that late. Thank you, Danny. I I, I agree. We didn't we didn't uh, we only scratched the surface for sure. Definitely, we're so. gonna start with uh, <laughs> with Pink Floyd, specifically Dark Side of the Moon. I like or it. Or Shine on Your Crazy Diamond, which is my favorite <laughs> song. Uh, Darren, thank you so much. Thank you. A lot of love, brother. Likewise back at you. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs>
I've never felt so sure of anything else in my life If you become my wife